I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Well, this is exciting because uh, this week's episode of Sick Boy Podcast, we sit down with the big daddy, Dr. Strang. Daddy Strang. Daddy Strang. Uh, For those of you who don't know, uh, Dr. Strang, which you'll come to know when we throw to this recording, is our chief medical officer here in Nova Scotia. And uh, it was was a real honor to to get to meet the guy because he's he's a real gem of a human. And he's been doing a lot of hard work to uh, keep the the folks of Nova Scotia informed. I want to say this. If you're not from Nova Scotia, doesn't fucking matter. This, This conversation is... Is for you know who you know who should be listening to this conversation. Anyone who lives anywhere where it uh, where COVID nineteen is affecting their community, I think that's pretty much everywhere. So <laughs> so if you're listening to this right now, this is for you. Um, but uh, but we do we do talk about it um, specifically from the perspective of like what it's like to be in Nova Scotia right now with the with the quote unquote Atlantic bubble the the beautiful, mystical Atlantic bubble that we've been sitting in. However, things are changing uh, here in Atlantic Canada. COVID is, uh, is rearing its ugly head. And, um, you know, to, 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 not to put words in Dr. Strang's mouth, but uh, we as Nova Scotians, we've, been getting a li- we've gotten a little bit comfortable. We've become a little bit complacent. And, uh, and so we're hoping this conversation is kind of a reminder to anyone who is feeling that way uh, that you know, this is fucking serious, and uh, we're not we're not out of the out of the the woods yet. We've got quite a quite a ways to go, and th- this became very apparent um, when Doctor Strang uh, and um, our our uh, the honorable uh, 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 king, king, king of the McNeil. land premier Stephen Steve McNeil. <laughs> Uh, King Steve Careful McNeil, um, uh, when the two of them made their their statement yesterday to the to the province. Now, so you know, podcasting, we record this stuff long ahead of time when we put it out. Uh, we're recording this Wednesday, November eighteenth, right now. This is what this is. You're hearing my voice. That's when this was recorded. Our our conversation with Doctor Strang yeah. was what was that like? That was on Friday. Yeah, so it's past Friday, thirteenth, well, Friday the thirteenth. Ooh, ooh, spooky, dookie, ooky, spooky. Um, so, so things have changed since then. And Doctor Strang and Stephen McNeil put out a statement yesterday, basically telling us that, like, look, guys, we are now facing community spread here in in Nova Scotia. Um, and they made they made quite a few points. Um. Uh, and an, an an emphasis on an emphasis on young people and an emphasis on on he there was something in the statement where he said something like something along the lines of uh other communities across the world 
and our own country have have waited to take these measures that we w- w- that that we are asking you to engage in mm-hmm. when it, when it was already too late and he was like it's not too late for us yet right there's we can still stamp this out because it is because like people again people who are living in Ontario might think we're fucking crazy for being this concerned about the situation that we've got on our hands but that's because we have an opportunity to not have a situation at all mm. and so the statement is urging young people because that's the, he's they, they're saying that that is the community 18 to 35 or something like that is the community that mm-hmm. is affected most yeah and to in and in, in a really like heartfelt plea that this sucks your social beings this affects your social lives this is what we have to do right now to get yeah. rid of this so that you can get back to that sooner. And, did, uh, did and guys, it, was really, uh, guys, it was really sincere. Did you guys see that video, um, the uh, PSA that came out of Germany? No. I did not. Have you guys seen that? No. Oh, man, I'll send it to you after have this. Have you seen this? Have you basically, heard about this? Basically, yeah. Basically, I love uh, excluding all of our listeners from all of these funny things. I'm going to explain what it is, and then and then people can check it out. We'll put a link in the show notes uh, to this video. But basically, it's a PSA. You better remember that. And it's, yep. That's it's more, work, uh, more work. for Somebody me, write that down. <laughs> somebody write that down. Uh, so basically, it's it it's an interview with with uh, a, like an elderly man, and he's um, talking about he's talking about 2020 as if it's in the past. So like you you quickly like come to realize that like. This is an interview from like the year 2080 or something. Mm-hmm. And this old guy's like, our generation was called into action. We had to be brave. And it, it's like talking to him like as if he's a, a war vet. Mm. And he's like, all we were asked to do is stay home and do nothing. <laughs> and it like cuts to them just like laying around the house doing nothing. Yes, and it's yeah. like the most like admirable thing that you can do for our generation. And, and it's just so hilarious because like it is that simple. Like, yeah, no doubt. You literally just have to stay home and do nothing right now. Yeah. And like, obviously, like, we don't need to get into this, but obviously, there's there's a lot of people who are who are negatively fa- affected, and you know, there's no there's in a lot of cases there's no financial support for people to stay home. Yeah, it's a, um, it's a privileged and, thing and, to say yeah. that it's easy to it, stay it, at home, but there there are it, having it is, said but, that, right? There are a lot of things that we can do, and this is one of the things that Dr. Strang. Uh, uh, really uh, pushed, like hammered home in this statement that he made uh, yesterday. Um, and I know that you all know this, but I'm just going to say it anyway. And I'm saying this as, like, as, as your friend, because if you're listening to this podcast, you're our friend, you're my friend, and if you care about me, uh, these are the things that I hope that you are taking into consideration when it comes to protecting yourself and protecting your community. Uh, wash your fucking hands. Wear a mask when you're indoors, always. Uh, the science shows that it protects you and others around you. Make sure the mask that you have is an effective mask. Make sure it fits, right? So covering your nose and your mouth, not pulled down over your fucking nose. It's so annoying seeing that. Um, <laughs> two layers or three layer, a two layer or three layer mask, right? Not a, just a scarf or pulling up your fucking shirt. Uh, maintain physical distance, Staying two meters or six feet apart from all others at, at any other time, right? Just like two, just like me and the and the hot girl that has CF that I have a crush on. I gotta keep six feet apart, as we all know from that beautiful film made by Justin Baldoni. Although that film was called Five Feet Apart, One Foot Too Close. Uh, explicitly follow the gathering limits, right? So no more than ten people in your close knit social circle. And this is this is the hard one. 
this one and and Strang made it very clear. Like this is tough to to cut down your entire social circle to ten people, dude. That fucking sucks. But guess what? It's temporary. Like Brian said, like be that be that uh, be that old ass war vet twenty years from now who said, you know what they asked us to do? Only have ten friends for three months. You know, like that's it. <laughs> Fucking do that. Um, like actually, though, <laughs> uh, if you feel unwell, don't be an asshole. Just stay home. Um, uh, missing work has financial implications. We understand that, um, but there's if you are if you are an, uh, someone who employs people, also don't be an asshole. You know, um, be a supportive workplace, uh, and. Uh, this is, you know, if you're in the Atlantic provinces, if you're in the Atlantic bubble, uh, this isn't the time to leave, you know, make, make it a staycation. Uh, and then, you know, don't let strangers into your house and make out with you. That's, I think that was verbatim. One of the things that he said, that's my biggest takeaway. And the thing that I find the hardest to like the hardest to, habit to break to not do. <laughs> so yeah. anyway, anyway th- those are those are just some of the things that Dr. Shrang is advising, and those things are those things are annoying. Those things aren't fun, but they're not impossible. Let's take care of each other. Having said all that, I hope you fucking enjoy this episode because this is really really cool. Da- Dr. Daddy Strang is a cool human, and uh, I am proud to call myself a Nova Scotian and proud to know that someone like him has our backs when it comes to public health. Without further ado, Dr. Shrey. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Dr. Strang, Canadian physician and the chief medical officer of Nova Scotia. Let's talk about it. One of the people on your show was my daughter's boyfriend in high school. He's oh, a fellow. No, he no, died. No, no, no. He had uh, Ewing sarcoma. And oh, Brandon. Brandon. Yes. Yeah. Brandon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He ended up becoming literally yeah. like our best friend. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 You no, know, she went out with him for a brief period of time in grade twelve. No way. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. Cool. Well, that's what so that she was. So that it was. I was going to say. That's, that's, so that's when I went in the first listen to you guys' podcast because of that. Crazy. Small world. Yeah. You you live in Fall River. Yes. Yeah. Man, ah, oh, Brandon. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Brandon passed uh, two, almost a year and a half ago. Now? Yeah, but yeah, yeah. It's been yeah. Um, well, this is uh, this is an exciting moment for the three of us because uh, <laughs> we are sitting here with Nova Scotia's chief medical officer, uh, Doctor Strang, and um, <clears throat> I. I'm trying to think of where where to where to start from here. Um, well, let's start with this. We are literally catching you on your lunch break right after a <laughs> briefing. Um, and uh, as most people who have not been living under a rock know, uh, we are in the throes of a global pandemic. Um, and we live in uh, what is right now considered to be like one of the safer places in North America – uh, at least, for sure, uh, in if the, not the in world. The, if not the world, in the Atlantic bubble, which uh, I want to just say many thanks to you and mm-hmm. the people uh, that all work 
with you. Um, but well, thank you. We, we yeah no hey. Take, t- t- but I always tell people I'm just one person that because of my job I'm in the public. There are lots and lots and lots of other mm-hmm. people in public health and in the across the health system doing way harder work than I'm doing every day that, that gets us to where we're at. So. He's humble too. You're very folks. modest. Look at this. Very yeah, modest. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> uh, but we are we are we are obviously like you know uh, coming into the the second wave of COVID. Uh, the rest of the country is is you know the numbers are kind of spiking. Um, so in terms of, I think I want to get this out of the way right off the bat. Um, in terms of where we are today, how are you feeling as, as a public health, health official about um, how things have been going in the Atlantic bubble and about how things look like they could be going? Because I know that, you know, there's like, a, <clears throat> and for people who aren't from Nova Scotia, I know there's a lot of listeners who aren't, you know, there's like a little cluster uh, that that has been found in a in a community here in Halifax called Clayton Park, and and there was I know there's a lot of people that were worried about potential community spread. So, um, what are your thoughts? Where are we at right now in Nova Scotia, and and how are you feeling in general? So, I mean, it's <clears throat> every day is just is a little bit different because you know what you never know what's coming, and I think that's that's what we need to be cognizant of. We're in a pretty good place. If you look around, even the rest of Canada, mm. that everywhere, every other province is co- they're well into the, the the second wave of COVID, and they're having huge impacts, and everybody's talking about circuit breakers and you know hard shutdowns, etc. Mm-hmm. We're not even there yet. We're at this place where we're seeing some slow increase. Almost all of it is people who've traveled outside of Atlantic Canada, mm-hmm. uh, and that in itself tells a story that. That, uh, that that keeping our, our our borders fairly restricted is something we need to maintain focus on, even though there are there economic impacts yeah. because of that and and family and social impacts. But it's we're small provinces in the Atlantic Canada. Nova Scotia is small. If we get a, a significant surge of COVID, we'll get overwhelmed way faster than Ontario or anything. Ooh, so yeah. there, we need to be able, we need to protect ourselves as hard as that may be and as tough as it may be. Um, but it's very, te- it, it is fairly tenuous. Yeah, uh, that that this could go south at any time. The wrong case in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. And as we've seen this, even like in Manitoba, it didn't take very long. Mm-hmm. You know, they were back in September. They were where we were at, pretty comfortable. Yeah. And I think that's important. We can't get comfortable. Yeah, things we're are on this edge that we need to all collectively. Uh, we can't lose focus. Yeah. And 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 I see it, there's kind of you see it around, and I get it. We're nine months into it. People are tired of all these impositions, if you will, uh, and there's no <laughs> kind of clear end in sight. But the reality is our best, our best path forward uh, is to keep doing what we're doing because that keeps us the greatest chance to be as safe as possible. Mm-hmm. And the reality is if we can stay where we're at or close to it and, and have, we will see, and I said at the briefing earlier today, we're going to see more of these little clusters that pop up. we got to come to accept that and mm-hmm. not expect we're going to have no COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Our goal is to keep them as little clusters and not allow them to spread into great big community clusters, yeah. which then take off, and we can't control anymore. Yeah, it's funny because I, I find myself checking the news every day to see the update on new COVID cases in Nova Scotia. And even if I see two or three new cases, as long as they can be sort of like 
trace back to either an existing cluster or or existing cases that were there before, then for me that gives me confidence in still being able to, you know, keep things open in the way that it is now. But as soon as that starts to get out of control and we're unable to sort of trace every individual case, then I feel like that's when it becomes problematic. Is that sort of how you, you guys feel too? Yeah, as long as we can have you know link know, exa- know where a case came from, like is it related to travel, and often we get secondary cases. So if somebody's traveled and they're staying in a household and some of those other household members be, you know, become infected, well, we expect that. Mm-hmm. Right? Living it, right. So you can explain that. Mm-hmm. It's when you start to get... Beyond that, guys, those secondary cases, if you get into third or fourth layers of cases, that, uh, that even if you can trace it back, ultimately it's getting several layers out, which, is pro- which becomes more concerning. Yeah. Or if you have cases where we go, well, we don't really know where this person has been exposed. Mm. Yeah. And if you start to accumulate those, and then you have to then come to the conclusion that you've got you know, general spread in the community. Right. If we have one case and we're not seeing more, it's just we can go, okay, well, we don't know where that is, and as long as we're not seeing more, it's just something that maybe we're just going to have to say we can't ultimately explain it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because if there is broader community spread, we're going we're gonna to see more cases popping up. Right. If it stays as a single unexplained case, then ultimately I'm going to remain, you know, just be able to say, well, we couldn't explain it, but it didn't, nothing else happened, so... Maybe we just got lucky, right? right there right. was somebody exposed somebody that we weren't aware of. But I think your your point about how you look at things and go, "Oh, now I can relax <laughs> because yeah, I, right. I can explain yeah. it." That's a double edged sword, right? Because part of what we I think we, we 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 always continue to work is that maybe we become a little bit too relaxed and we go. And I get lots of questions all the time. Well, we're so safe. Why do we have to keep having these restrictions? <laughs> and I go, well, the only reason we remain safe is by by having these impositions on yeah. you know which limit our social gatherings uh, and all those other pieces. And that is, if we give up on those, then. When we do inevitably get COVID coming in, then we've basically created a condition where it can take off. Yeah. Do you I just want to? I just want to clarify. I just want to clarify that I I don't mean relaxes in like I'm going to go in public with the, no mask. I mean my anxiety. No, mostly. no, but I, but I <laughs> use your opportunity to say I think a lot of people. I think that's collectively people have gone. Oh, I can kind of I can let my guard down because you know yeah. we've remained yeah. safe and we've gotten through the summer. Everything else around, but now I think we all collectively in Nova Scotia have to go. The rest of Canada and Europe and stuff is like the second wave, and it's really t- taken off. Mm-hmm. That the only way we avoid being in the in the same situation is being is really tightening up our thinking and, and being really careful about what we, what we do. And I said at the briefing today, how COVID spreads is by person to person. Mm. Right. And that the main way that we control its spread is being very careful about the number of people we have close contact with within our lives. Mm-hmm. We have people in our in our homes that we have to be in contact with, but when we go to work, especially in social activities, because that's where we're seeing this wave, the second wave is starting, is... Uh, and it tends to be people in younger young, younger age demographic... Who maybe not maybe don't think themselves at as as much risk, and so you know, and I still want to go out and socialize. I want to party and all those kind of things, 
But unfortunately, in that it's those social situations where you get lots of people coming together, not worrying about keeping distance, not worrying about masking and all that stuff. That's where risk happens. And then you get an explosive situation because you've, now you've got maybe 10, 20, 30 people who have all been exposed and they in their own then circles that they go around yeah. to. Mm-hmm. So as hard as it is, now is the time for us to really, no matter what age we are, to say – who is it important I need to be around? And especially in social situations, being really careful about the choices we make, mm. who we get together with, trying to be under 10 and, and keeping that 10, not a, not a different 10 every day or every yeah, night, whatever, right. the same 10 as much as possible. And even if you have a couple of groups of 10, trying to limit those number of groups of 10 and being careful about masking. And that's and I keep saying to people that, you know, everybody thinks, well, it's older people who get severely ill. That's true, but at the same time, all of us are at risk. I don't know which one of you has cystic fibrosis, but but there are but there are there are lots of people in our social circle that we may not even know what what mm-hmm. their underlying health condition <laughs> and and yeah. what risk they may be at. So mm-hmm. I keep talking about how we need to just do this not for ourselves, but it's if we can collectively, you know, have more of a concern about each other and think about everything I do maybe put somebody else at risk, even unknowingly. Mm. Or maybe it's putting the healthcare worker at risk who then, you know what, I may need them next month for COVID or something else. So Mm. it's all about thinking about others more and what we do to keep each other safe and accepting those impositions that we're in a pandemic. Mm -hmm. It can't be life as normal. I'm sorry. Mm. Yeah. is is We've been, and I said earlier, like we've been spoiled, and I don't mean to trivialize trivialize COVID because obviously people have been affected and there's been families that have been affected and there's been people who've died and, and, and that's all terrible. But in relation to other provinces and other countries, we've, you know, Nova Scotia has been in this place. What is this, this really good place relative, relatively with COVID? What has been, what has been, are, are other provinces and, and health officials from other provinces and health authorities or are they looking to Nova Scotia and asking why? Why is... Why? Why are you? Why is this little province so successful relatively with keeping COVID down? We're having the like. I'm at a lot of you know national conversations. My chief medical officer of health colleagues. We started having conference calls back in January, and at the, in the middle of the way, we were doing three or more times a week, and now we're twice a week. So we talk a lot. I think they look at us and perhaps with a bit of envy, but there's also some natural things that we just that are in our favor mm-hmm. that we're at the end of end of of uh, of Canada mm-hmm. right so and we don't have despite Halifax wanting to be a big city <laughs> and in a minute but it's still only half a million people yeah where if you look around the world where covid really it, it takes off is in big large large highly densified urban settings mm-hmm. That's because it's really, really hard to keep people separated in those environments yeah. and minimize spread. So our geography, and so we have Halifax, and even and that's the biggest. It's the big, you know, biggest of all our cities, but it's not really that big. It's not highly densified. Mm-hmm. Um, many, much of our population is more rural and spread out. Uh, we don't have, even though you know, we have 
very early on, uh, international travel was restricted to four major airports, yeah, Montreal, right. Toronto, Vancouver, and I believe Calgary. So even we don't, we, we stopped having any international travel directly in and out of Halifax, which is very much in our favor. Yeah. Uh, so we have a lot of kind of natural things uh, that 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 have that helped us keep COVID out, uh, and I think because we were successful um, during the first wave, uh, that and also we had a group of, of premiers who frankly said we need to protect ourselves as small provinces. We we have to try to separate ourselves from the rest of Canada, and we can do that, especially in Nova Scotia. We have. Uh, you know, the Digby Ferry, there's not much traffic. We have the airport, the Sydney Airport's small, and then we have the Amherst Land border. Mm-hmm. So we can, we actually have, because of geography, again, the ability to put limitations and have controls over our border. There's no way you could do that in on the rest of Canada with the yeah. long border between Canada and the so U.S. Many points of entry. And between provinces, right? <laughs> exactly. So the, a lot of those things in our favor. But I also think that... Um, one of the things we've had that's worked well is whether Nova Scotians are just compliant or I like to think that the Premier and I were able to engage people in a kind of a trustful, trusting kind of uh, communication relationship that to the large extent we've had Nova Scotians buy into this mm-hmm. approach mm-hmm. that we have to accept these restrictions and limit what we do to take care of each other. Yeah. It's, it's funny you say that because like, <clears throat> I'm thinking back to like the when we were really in the throes of it, and and you know like so living with CF, like in the beginning, like March, yeah, April, yeah, like May. yeah, May, April, like around there, like in April, you know, and and I'm like totally locked up in my house, you know, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. I might take the dog out for like a short walk, but what I most certainly am doing every single day is tuning in to listen to you and Steve McNeil. And it, it it developed this. It, there was almost this kind of like, like I I saw you guys as like Bert and Ernie, you know, like in my like in my mind, I was like, yeah, they're like roommates, and they just like they 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 hang out all night. They think about like the things that really need to be said to the province, and then like they wake up the next day and they go, all right, let's go do it. And they sit down and they give their message. And but it ha- it did have this kind of like and sort you know I heard a lot of people um, comparing. Justin Trudeau to like Mr. Rogers, you know, like there was this, there was this very um, trustworthy and and almost dependent sort of relationship that I feel as as a as a Nova Scotian, I started to develop with you because you guys had the answers, or at least you guys had the the you were in the position where you you came into our living room and <clears throat> offered up whatever information that you had at the moment. And it was like, there was something really, really comforting about that. And I think, I think that that, uh, and I'm sure that that's not unique to here, right? I think that a lot of Canadians were feeling that with their, their, um, members of government who were showing up day after day to kind of give these updates. So I, I want to, I want to just like shift gears slightly because, uh, having said that, before before I was tuning in to Bert and Ernie every day, I I had no idea who Doctor Strang was. <clears throat> you know, if someone had asked me like who's our chief medical officer, I would have been like, "That's a good question." I have no idea. <laughs> and you very quickly became kind of like a household name um, in in Nova Scotia for a lot of people. Um, what like 
How how much has COVID changed your job? You know, like what was your, what did your job look like before before we were just all of a sudden thrown into this? Um, hate to say it, unprecedented time. <laughs> no. Never before seen. <laughs> New normal. <laughs> I mean, it's two ways. It's, it's, I mean, solely focused on COVID, right? So before, my job was simply to work with folks. And, you know, my, my job is all about prevention, and that's what public health is all about. How do we actually work with communities to create conditions that people can be as, he- as healthy as possible? And you get involved in a whole range of things, some of which are very directly related to, uh, you know, health around, you know, substances people use and tobacco and how active we are and, you know, what food we eat. But it's even those issues, you start, you very much get into, well, what is the not, what is the community around us that supports health? Mm-hmm. Can people actually access healthy food? Uh, what are the, you know, why are they using substances and all the issues around trauma and, and stress and stuff that lead to that. So you get into all these broad, complex kind of social issues around public health. And so I've been involved in all of those, but a lot of it is kind of behind the scenes, although I have been, you know, I've been fairly, I was very vocal around tobacco control and, you know, smoke-free places and mm-hmm. more recently doing a lot of work on the opioid crisis and trying to engage people on that, but never to the same length, extent of kind of sustained public engagement yeah. than COVID. So that's one way. The other piece is all that other stuff is unfortunately uh, set aside. Mm. So I'm focused, so my team is focused solely on COVID, and that, that is one of the downsides is that we have a number of other important public health issues. Yeah, that- and the opioid overdose crisis is one that yeah. has, to a large extent, uh, been put on the back burner, uh, and there are still there's more people dying every day from opioid overdose than there is from COVID. So yeah. it's a reality of the of the of the of the limited capacity of public health in in Canada. Would that be we we spoke on the we spoke on the show a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, about how COVID on a global scale has um, has that there's been um, rising rising rates of, uh, I think it was HIV, malaria, and TB, tuberculosis, around the world, and how how they're starting to see correlations between the research yep. dedicated to COVID and then rising cases there um, because of resources, et cetera. It is, I mean, you kind of hit on it there as the opioid crisis being something that has, that has unfortunately not had some attention taken away from it because of COVID. Would that be would that be like number one on the list? Is there anything else that stands out that that has started to suffer because of all the attention that we need to bring to this like massive public health crisis that is COVID? I think I mean the opioid and opioid use and overdose is certainly the the main one that's up there. But and I guess I think about it a different way. What COVID has shown us is that who's at who's who's at most impact from covid if you really look at it from a social lens is is marginalized populations so those of us who have the ability to still work from home still get paid uh you know if i have you know if i have somebody that comes into my home i can put them in a separate bedroom and keep them isolated all those kind of things well there's big chunks of our community that don't even don't have that yeah. and 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 
the, 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 the parts of our economy that have been most af- impacted, the entertainment and the kind of tourist sector, many of those jobs which have gone and may never come back are, are kind of lower-wage service jobs. Yeah. So if, if nothing else, COVID should make us sit up and go, it's really exposing some of these longer-standing inequities around mm-hmm. whether it's income or employment or education that, that are – and who's most vulnerable. And it's the same groups that are most vulnerable to substance use and the yeah. harms from substance use, et cetera. Yeah. So in some ways, it, it, this is, allows us to talk more broadly about what are the things that we really should need to be paying attention to long-term that, that drive poor health, or if we want to frame it a different way, that if we pay attention to, we can actually create m- much healthier communities yeah. by lifting up those who are most marginalized, et cetera. Absolutely. The other piece is, is that, and this is the challenge of COVID, and you're absolutely right. I just read something the other day about immunization rates, childhood immunization rates, especially in developing countries, are significantly being impacted because oh, wow. the capacity has been diverted for COVID and stuff. So COVID is a really interesting challenge and it, it, that on the one hand, the majority of people who get infected with COVID aren't going to have serious disease. But if you just let it take its course, we're seeing that. It will, they'll, they'll, it, the U.S. is a great example. You will, in community by community, you will absolutely overrun your healthcare system. Mm-hmm. And, then what's, and then that has its own huge health challenges yeah and then what you have to put once it's once what you have to put in place to try to control it once it gets out of control has all the you know all the restrictions which then create all these issues around well what what happens to people impact when they're not employed yeah we've we're seeing increases of mental health issues and all those other pieces so covid is this really interesting how do you find the balance of having enough control of covid but knowing that everything you do to control it has its own set of negative impacts mm-hmm. and that we need to keep, as I keep saying, it's an ongoing balancing act, mm-hmm. trying to find the right level of control but also keeping things open as much as possible because everything we restrict then creates its own set of consequences. So, but, and so that's why I say we're fortunate here in Nova Scotia and Atlantic Canada because mm-hmm. we can actually, if we can keep where we're at, we actually have fairly open economies and fairly open communities that we can minimize the negative impacts of the, of the, that come from a very hard COVID response. So that's another reason to say, why do we need to keep doing what we're doing? And yeah, it's, it's, it's hard for people when they have to limit their social lives and we have certain parts of the economy which are significantly impacted and we don't have a we didn't have a cruise ship season and we may not have one next year and that has implications but the reality is if we if we allow those risks to happen we put ourselves to have a a much greater harms down the road so it's a very interesting and challenging this balancing act of how much do you try to control covid versus trying to keep things open as much as possible. And I think no, nobody's got it exactly right. But if you look around the world, some countries have got it done a lot better job than others. Yep. And we can certainly look to things like the U.S. and stuff to say that things we don't want to do. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. In, in terms of the, the data that, that you're looking at, because I've really mostly been following new COVID cases, and, and I understand... Uh, 
the focus there and wanting to prevent new cases from spreading. But when you like, is there certain numbers or, or data sets that you look to in terms of like increase in, um, you know, like suicides, for example, when when you're looking at mental health or uh, are there are there like any specific metrics that you look to to understand the sort of um, impacts that are happening in the community based on the the protocols that you put in place? There, there's certainly some work going on nationally around trying to understand that. Part of the challenges is, and this gets into a whole other big broad issue, is that we don't have really good access to a lot of kind of close to real time health data. Right. That I don't have a place where I can go to very say, well, okay, in the last three months, what has been the change in people being, you know, uh, diagnosed with mental health disorders. Mm. And that's not unique to Nova Scotia at all. So access to accurate, timely data is a huge issue to kind of track these, what have been the non-COVID-related health impacts even. Mm. Um, So part of it is is trying to rely on some national-level data and and just extrapolate and... uh, Knowing that we're not going to have really good local data. Yeah, I imagine. I imagine it's not very useful to to you know get data next year that says, well, you know, too bad uh, mental health. That's often how we in healthcare data. It's it's out of date by the time. So one of the things we need to invest in, and again, this is public health infrastructure across the country, Mm -hmm. of having much more robust public health surveillance, so we could Mm be. Uh, and, and much closer to real time, tracking all sorts of mm. health as well as social kind of uh, mm. indicators. Mm. I mean, that you would see allow that us to get a much better snapshot of any given time where we at with the when I when I say health, I don't mean just health data, but if you look at health from a very broad definition, mm. where what is the state of the health of our communities? Mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you see that problem with with people when they want to change family physician from 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 one to another in the province, let alone going to another province. And like the transfer of that information seems like for a lot of people is so challenging because there's no, I mean, you know, getting into like a shared database is, I know that's a huge conversation obviously, but that's something that's, that's a big challenge. Um, I don't, I don't want, I don't want anybody to think that I'm, this is subliminal messaging. I'm going to say somebody's name. His name is Bill Gates. And um, (laughs) I'm not, I'm, this is, there's no conspiracy theories happening here. Years ago, he was a flat earther, so, <laughs> so sometimes we need to rein him in. Uh, um, years ago, I think it was 2014, 2015, something around there, he gave a TED talk and he's talking about you know the next, the next global, ma- massive global issue is going to be a pandemic. Mm. Before this, and you know, before December when it started to crop up in areas of China, what kind of attention, what kind of attention is or can a, a health, you know, our public health system and and any any other province's public health system give to the p- possibility of a of an epidemic lo- more locally or a pandemic even on you know how much can you actually think about it and prepare for it and have any idea how to react to it? So a couple of things that so we do have ongoing surveillance. So every month comes across my desk. You know what are the rates of we have our whole range of infectious diseases that are called notifiable diseases, and that, that we track them because they have the potential to spread from one person to another. And so we look at those on a monthly basis, and, you know, and, and 
you know, and if we get an outbreak of, and we've had them, you see it all, we've had outbreaks of mumps, we've had outbreaks of measles, we've had outbreaks of syphilis, we've had, you know, we respond to those at a local local level, and we have good surveillance on that. At an international level, and and the World Health Organization is responsible for leading all this, and, and, and this is one of the dangers of Trumpism and dismantling international health agencies, whose job it is is actually to track uh, the the occurrence of outbreaks and emerging of new diseases globally, uh, but what, the Public Health Agency of Canada uh, is in, is is part of international networks. So when new information comes up, uh, countries become aware of that, and within Canada, so I said I have monthly teleconferences, the Council of Chief Medical Officers of Health. And so very quickly, uh, within a couple of days of, of the alarms coming from China, uh, maybe I was still on Christmas holidays, getting some emails through the public health agency saying, here's the latest information from China. And very quickly in January, then we started to have calls about it, say, what, is this, what does this mean for us? And then we were, the, the, we were able to go back to, because I've been around long enough, I've, we've, we, even before H1N1 in 2009, there was a lot of talk about we have to be prepared for the next pandemic, and there was a lot of pandemic planning that went on. Mm-hmm. So, and then we had H1N1, which we learned some things, very different and much less uh, scary than, than COVID. But we, we got through it and we learned some things. And then we had SARS come in whatever, 2014, whatever it was, and that we again learned from that. Mm-hmm. So we have a long history of these pandemic plans. So the very first thing uh, we, we turned to in Nova Scotia when we said, oh, okay, there's something. It started off as a public health interest way over in China. And then as it gets later in January, you go, oh, we need to pay more attention and then we got into the first case in Canada. Well, even back in January when it was still of interest in China, but it was becoming more concerning. In Nova Scotia, and every province would have done the same. We pulled our pandemic plan off the shelf and started to think about how does this now apply uh, in the current context. And we started having health system calls once a week to say, how do we adapt our existing pandemic plan and start to put those pieces in place and what are the things we need to maybe refresh our minds on and all those Mm -hmm. kind of pieces. Mm -hmm. So we have a long history of whether it's local outbreaks or these previous pandemics that once there's a signal from this international network, surveillance network, Mm. that we can actually turn to. Um, I I just got a a, a question from uh, Lauren who uh, here behind me. She just sent me a message and was wondering... If if you if you had any sense of how big this was going or had had the potential of becoming back in January or, or back in December, not December it was late December, but I would say January. It, yeah. it became cl- pretty clear fairly early on that this had substantive potential. Mm-hmm. That any new respiratory virus has that because. The way it's transmitted person to person, you have a you know globalized travel and all those pieces. We're there as, we, as we're seeing, it's very, very difficult to contain. Once it gets starting to spread, especially these type of respiratory viruses, because the transmission is 
is is very is very is very easy. Uh, we've had these things before, and because of the nature of the virus, I don't mean the Middle East respiratory virus, MERS, COVID, and mm-hmm. uh, stuff. They didn't turn into anything because we were fortunate that the virus itself just never developed the either the the the, the strong enough ability to transmit from people or create severe enough illness. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've had several of these that we've, <coughs> we've dodged a bullet on. And every year we have a new strain of influenza that comes around. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Uh, and H1N1 was it was influenza, mm-hmm. you know, a new strain of influenza that we'd never seen before. And that in itself was a pandemic. Yeah. But this was a totally new strain of coronavirus with different characteristics. So we were dealing with, there's still so much we don't know about this virus. Whereas H1N1, we knew it was a flu virus. So there's a lot of things we knew right off the bat about what would work. Are vegans actually unhealthy? Does cannabis ruin your sleep? And why are so many men taking testosterone supplements? I'm Mitch. And I'm Greg. And we're the creators of the popular YouTube channel, ASAP Science. Every week on our podcast, Side Note by ASAP Science, we explain the science behind a controversial subject with recent research, up-to-date studies, and ridiculous stories so you are entertained while, bam, simultaneously learning. We're here to make science make sense. Download Side Note by ASAP Science wherever you got your podcasts. Speaking of vaccines, um, we were actually talking, excuse me, we were actually talking on uh, the episode that we, re- we released today about the news that had uh, recently come out about Pfizer and their, you know, them saying that they've, they, the early results are showing that this new vaccine that they've been working on has, you know, 90% effective, um, but to, you know, remains cautious about, you know, pushing that information out to, to, to be too hopeful. Um, I, let's say, let's say like things go real well and we get a vaccine that is, uh, that is indeed 90% effective and they start rolling it out in the first quarter of 2021. How, what is the pro, like? What is vaccine protocol on a provincial level? How does how does it how does it work here? Like, what, what would we what would we be looking at in terms of um, how we get access? Who are the people that would <clears throat> maybe get access first, or or does it work like that? Yeah, so we actually we we will very much have a national approach around vaccines. So. What we do, what we'll do with this vaccine, and there, more, there was already lots of discussions around what are the possible vaccines and what do we have to do to start to be prepared for them in terms of administration. But I'll use the, all our vaccines that are that we get in the provinces. The federal government is does all the work in terms of the procurement. They're the ones that negotiate with the vaccine manufacturers mm-hmm. on our behalf. And we enter into kind of contractual arrangements. So the same is going to happen with these vaccines. And, you know, it's not clear yet what who's going to pay. Is it going to be the federal government or is it going to be uh, the provinces and territories? Um, uh, you know, that's a, that's a political conversation. Mm, yeah. But what we're talking about is, along with being prepared for the types of vaccines, and I do have to put in a word of caution you know, Pfizer on the one hand says it's early results. Be careful, but why are they out there talking about it then? Yeah. We ha- we have yeah. to let yeah. 
the proper science happen and the appropriate trials to make sure that we have a safe and effective vaccine mm-hmm. or vaccines. Yeah. There's probably going to be more than one. We cannot get out ahead of that because um, th- then we make we run the risk of making major mistakes. And if we have a big safety issue with COVID vaccine, we have there's a very real risk that we undermine this, the confidence in all vaccine yeah, programs, 100%. which would be a huge challenge. Mm-hmm. So we, even though people are desperate for a vaccine, we can't get out too quick, get out ahead of the appropriate uh, science and then the regulatory process to make sure it's both mm-hmm. safe and effective. I yeah. just have to mm-hmm. say that. 100%, 100%, but but yeah. when we get that, we're, there's national conversations already about, well, who are the priority groups? That's what I was wanting. Uh, well, so, there's a, so we, have the, we have a National Advisory Committee on Immunization that informs the tables that I sit at. And they've already put it publicly about, you know, who's the, the priority groups would be people who are at most risk of getting severely ill, uh, people who are then providing care for those groups, et cetera. Yes. So, but those That's are me. big. That's me. No. <laughs> did you guys name me? Like, first, did you say, is Jeremy Saunders on the list? I got, your name, so pe- cool. I got your name penciled in right in there. <laughs> but, so, but, but, but what, given what, the other thing we need to know is that in all likelihood, the amount of that, we're going to get vaccine in small incremental amounts, at least initially. So in Nova Scotia, we're going to get a very small amount of vaccine. And every province is going to get way less vaccine than they, at least initially. So we're going to have to be very tight in terms of having public health science say who is at greatest risk. And when you have X amount of vaccine, these are the ones who should get it because they're top yeah. of the list. Yeah. And and that's when we need and we need to be having those discussions nationally, and we are because yeah. we have to have a national approach to this. If if we if we vary, then it's going to be problematic. The biggest challenge that I see is that you're going to having all the people who say, "Well, I'm not in the list, but I believe I should be." Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have to say, "I'm sorry, but yeah. you're going to have to wait." Mm-hmm. I, I I I think like I think for myself, knowing that I'm someone who's at risk. But also knowing that there's a very small amount coming into the province, I, I I need to mentally for myself for my own like mental health. I think I need to approach this in the same way that I approached getting a PlayStation Five, right? So like I I missed yeah, out on the sense. first presale, yeah, right. um, and I couldn't get one <clears throat> on the release date, which was yesterday. But yesterday, I was able to uh, secure one on Best Buy. This podcast is not brought to you by and, Sony. And it is so, by Best Buy. Though. And so, and so, and so, you know, I have to be patient. I'm not going to get it until November 20th, which is a good like you know week and a half. You're still like pretty close, it. pretty close to the first group. This is such not, a great parallel to a vaccine. <laughs> but but I'm I'm actually curious. Like, in do they look at Nova Scotia or the Atlantic Bubble and say, oh, they've got COVID pretty like under control there so we're we're gonna like wait to give vaccines to the atlantic bubble and prioritize places where it's more no i think we're going to be looking at a kind of per capita allotment and then sticking with a consistent uh priority list right yeah so we'll get our per capita allotment (laughs) at be a whatever percentage of the population depending on how much vaccine we get that's no, we have 3% of the population, so we'll get three, I'm just like, yeah, around 3% right. of the vaccine. Mm-hmm. And and then how, which Nova Scotians get it, that's, that's part of that national conversation, well, who's at the top of the list? Right. And so there is something, Jeremy, about, you know, we're, we're, we, we're going, we've already been talking about a little bit, but we'll be talking a lot, much more at briefings and other, other places about 
tempering people's expectations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The other thing about the vaccine, I think we need. It's just I, I, I'm. We got to temper overall expectations of the vaccine. It's not vaccinating everybody is not going to solve, or in all likelihood is is it's it's going to help, but it's not going to be the golden ticket to COVID. No. Why is that? Mm-hmm. Well, well it's, it's the same as like why I have to get the flu shot every year. You know, it's if, if I get the flu shot this year, but then I don't go get it next year, I'm not immune to the flu. You know, yeah, with these type right? of respiratory viruses, it's it's. And I'm not a vaccine expert, but when I read and I listen to them, it's it, it's highly unlikely that we're going to get a vaccine against this type of virus. That one or two doses is going to give you lifelong immunity. We already know that pro- people who get infected, they probably don't have immunity beyond about three months from their. COVID infection. Right. It's just the way respiratory viruses work. The vaccine will help. So it'll probably end up being in a space where vaccinating people, and we may have to vaccinate people periodically, what it does is protects, though, it, it's, it's really good, like the flu vaccine, against preventing severe illness and helps keep people out of hospital, preserving our healthcare system. It's not so good at, pres- at just keeping people totally healthy. Right. So if one of our challenges with COVID is if we let it run wild, is it overruns our healthcare system, then there is going to be value of a vaccine that helps protect the healthcare system by keeping people and protects people from severe illness, mm-hmm. keeps people from dying, keeps people from having to be in hospital. What it would do would be give us, potentially give us greater ability to say, we're more comfortable just lifting the restrictions and letting COVID kind of run its course. We do that every year for flu. I mean, every year for the last 20 years, I've been out there telling people, wash your hands, you know, da, da, da. But we basically go about life as normal for with influenza season, even though several thousand Canadians die every year from flu. Mm. We don't say, oh, we got to shut everything down because of flu. Part of it is because we have a vaccine that helps protect people. Mm-hmm. How frustrating is it to hear, you know, whether it's in, within Canada or, I mean, particularly you hear it a lot out of people in the U.S., when they say that about COVID, like, well, we don't do this with the flu. Like, why, you know, as a, as a public health <laughs> official, I mean, does that just... It is, fr- I mean, it's frustrating because people just not understanding it's not the flu. If you look at it, I mean, it presents the same way, but it's a, it's a virus that we don't have any experience with. Yeah. And it is presenting, it's, a, it's, it's got a, a much greater level of uh, risk of severe illness than flu. But we're also learning, we're actually seeing that there's more and more evidence around not everybody just gets sick and in two weeks is completely better. We're seeing more and more evidence of some long-term impacts from this. Mm -hmm. So we can't be relaxed about this because we just don't know. uh, Mm -hmm. There's a a greater level of short-term, you know, of severe illness, but there's a lot that's emerging in that if we just let, a, let everybody get infected, we're going to have a whole bunch of preventable deaths, and we may actually have set people up for long-term disability and long-term chronic health yeah. problems. Yeah. Is COVID-19 something that we are going to be dealing with for the rest of our lifetime, like in, in some capacity? Like will we look at this maybe 20 years from now and say, That's- oh, i got to get my COVID-19 shot? Possible. That's an interesting quote. We don't know. I mean, I, I, I even I don't even think about what next year. I, 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 <laughs> yeah. I've been telling people. I don't I'm, usually either. I'm thinking about the next three months. Right? Yeah, can yeah. Well, can we keep Nova Scotia as safe as possible while the wave two kind of comes and goes? Mm-hmm. If 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 wave two is like wave one, it was about a two to three month piece. So can we? 
prevent or limit wave two in Nova Scotia. And then we'll worry about the future. Mm-hmm. Who knows? I mean, there's lots of other co- coronaviruses out there right. that we just live with. They cause the common cold and various things. So it may get to a point where this this virus just becomes one of a number of other circulating viruses that most people don't get seriously ill, but some people mm-hmm. might. Mm-hmm. There are some mm-hmm. people who, frankly, if, if they get even the common cold, it can put their life at risk because of their underlying health mm. issues. So, yeah. I, I know that uh, you are you're short on time. Before we before we come to wrapping, I, I I just want to hear your thoughts on the importance of the the COVID alert app, and because uh, I know that I know that there's like a. I have it, and I know that a lot of, but I've heard a lot of people be like, "Yeah, well, we don't really have COVID here, so like, why the why the hell would I download that app to my phone?" Um, what's like? Can you talk about the app, the importance of the app, how it can play a role in, again, keeping us just yeah. keeping this bubble from popping? So it's just another tool, but it's an important tool. So thanks for the question. I have it on my phone too. Uh, what it does is, if you have it on your phone. And your phone comes within six feet of somebody else who also has the COVID app, and you're there within that close proximity for more than 15 minutes. There's somehow those, I don't know, I'm not a technology guy, somehow those phones connect. And if that person then gets diagnosed with COVID and chooses to, they get a key and they upload their key, their, their phone then alerts every other phone that has been and meets that criteria mm. for close contact. So what it will do is say you might have been exposed to COVID. What's, how can who that? Who wouldn't want to know that? Who wouldn't want to? Because <laughs> yeah. then our message is that we're, we're, then what we're doing in Nova Scotia, we're saying because there's a lot, of, it doesn't guarantee that you've been exposed. And there's a lot, so we're not saying that people have to rush off and get tested. We're saying, you might have been exposed. Watch your health really carefully. And if you start to feel unwell, go and do our online assessment and you'll get directs around testing. Mm. I don't see how that, even if we have very little COVID around here, it, it, we don't have zero COVID. It's just another important tool that if nothing else gives us some reassurance of that, that, that if we are... Uh, that if we've been exposed, we'll know about it somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and maybe for people who, you know, if, if nothing else, think of it as a bit of an insurance policy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you it's said- not going to solve everything. And early on, it was being promoted as a great, wonderful thing. And many of us from public health were like, hang on, let's temper down expectations. But it's an important tool in our, in our toolbox. Yeah. I talk a lot about we have this multi layered approach, and people, uh, we're using the model around, you know, you've got to dress in layers for, crisp, for, the, hot, for the cold weather. COVID is like this. There's a bunch of, you know, staying distance is one layer. Wearing a mask is another layer. Having a COVID lap is another layer. Mm. No one layer keeps you warm or is sufficient. But when you build up multiple layers, then you have a nice, cozy winter safety. <laughs> and, and multiple layers is what we need to think about. So adding the app in can't harm you, mm. and it's just another layer of, of, of COVID protection. That is like, that is, I think, the encapsulated is the perfect yeah. the perfect message that people need to hear because there's no such thing as bad weather there's only bad clothing <laughs> yes yeah, bad clothing yes, exactly choices. that's what yeah. i got from yeah. that because yeah, there's been so there are there has been so many well, what about the mask and people imagining that it's the it's one thing mm-hmm. that's going to do mm-hmm. it and it's so multifaceted so thank you for that because mm-hmm. that is it is it's there's so many layers to it and there's and that's what people i think really need to understand so i i had one more question but i'm just conscious of your time did you do you guys have to get going right now? Or what do you time have to... is it? Go fast. Okay. Quick, uh, my, quick, my, quick. my last question really quickly is, is obviously um, there have been 
a lot of things to learn through going through the COVID nineteen experience as a public health official, and and um, it has highlighted some of the challenges as you mentioned with um, healthcare in our in our community. Um, one of the things that you mentioned was the the impact on marginalized communities. I'm wondering if there's any like really tangible, clear takeaways for you that you're going to look to implement uh, once COVID nineteen is under control. I guess. Um. So, so there's one one thing that's clearly I'd like to kind of advance. So we know that one of the vulnerable population part of COVID is about how do we how do we protect people who are vulnerable, long term care, home people living in shelters, etc. One of the good things we did in Wave One is we actually move people out of shelters. We put them in hotels, and we were in the process of developing. You know, in even I heard from people that even people who were homeless having it, their own room. They slept better at night. Mm. They had a shower. They felt better. Their health was improving. And we were going to put in like wraparound mental health and social supports around those people. So I think one of the things that I would like to be pushing forward is a, is trying to put shelters out of biz, business. Yes, we need affordable housing and all that other stuff. But in the meantime, can we come up with a more compassionate way of looking after people who are homeless and not crowding and putting them in overcrowded shelters that don't meet their needs really in any in any substantive way? And I like you know that kind of hoteling model mm-hmm. that you can apply wraparound health and social supports, mm-hmm. and and you know if we did that we would have long term benefits and we'd have cost savings in the healthcare and our justice mm-hmm. system because quite frankly those people wouldn't need to use those services if we treated them more compassionately. Yeah. I love that. That's, That's great. Per- That's perfect. Doctor Shrank, thank you for your time. Uh, it's been a pleasure to meet you, and it means a lot that you took time out of your day today to uh, chat with us. Thanks for the opportunity. It's, it's been uh, really enjoyable. Mm, thank thank you. you. That was our recording with Daddy, Dr. Strang. Um, and if you, if you love that conversation and you're feeling the urge, like you, if you're not from Nova Scotia and you really want to move here after that because you feel like you know, we're a group of like empathetic, empathetic uh, compassionate, caring people here, you're right, and you should move here, but you should just wait until COVID is done. Like, yeah, like plan for the end of next year or something like that. Yeah, move here in 2025. Uh, hey, if you like that, folks, <laughs> uh, and you want more of that, there's plenty more where that came from. You can listen to us every Monday and Friday uh, wherever you get fine podcasts. Uh, Spotify is a great place to do it. Um, <clears throat> and uh, if you want even more than that, Go hit us up on social meds. Be mm-hmm. on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Sick Boy Podcast. And if you have some interesting stories that you want to sell, to send to us, we've been getting a couple interesting ones lately. About some speaking of our conversation with Daddy Strang, we got some some pretty gnarly stories about long haul, long term COVID, oh, yeah. COVID that's just not going away, and just yeah. some crazy shit. So if you got any of that. Send it our way, letters at sickboypodcast.com. If you want to get in contact with us, you want to be a guest on the show, one of our lovely guests, um, sickboypodcast.com slash contact. I mean, everybody has to go through that. Daddy Strang had to go through that. He had to apply. We had to vet him. We had to go through his application, make sure that he was meritorious enough to be on our show with you know, three meritorious service medal winners. We had to make sure that there was... Wow, we dropped one. Nice way to announce that we, we got MSMs. But there's a quality amongst the, amongst the merit uh, of, all, of, all of, our, of all of us and all of our guests. So uh, sickboypodcast.com slash... I don't think we've ever actually 
told contact that, that we were given. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, yeah, we all we have medals of Canada. Say. We have we have Canadian medals of honor. So we're, um, we're working our way up uh, to the Order fuck. of Canada. Whatever, no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, <laughs> uh, Stick by podcast is produced by. Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, and myself, Brian Stever. Oh, and the amazing Lauren Sankey. Uh, and the sound design for the show is done by uh, Donovan the Meerkat Morgan. Um, if you guys love Donovan, just make some noise right now. Like if you're driving your car right now and you're on your own, just sh- shout it out. Like give him a round of applause, scream, cheer. Because Donovan is the Donovan's a fucking man. And uh, and Sick Boy Podcast is managed by Jeff Lonis. Shout out to Daddy Lonis for all the help and work that he does. It's actually we Grand love Pappy. him. It's actually Grandpappy Jeff. Uh, but yeah, anyway. All right, it's too many That's daddies. Right. Like right. I'm, I'm the, I am daddy. I'm daddy. No, well, I'm daddy. Your uncle. All right, I'm daddy. I'm, well, Doctor Strang, uncle Doctor Strang, Doctor Strang is my daddy. Okay, so so. Taylor, your uncle, Brian, your this baby boy. daddy your family baby boy, tree. Your baby boy. I'm, I'm daddy. I'm daddy, uh, daddy Dr. Strang is my daddy. daddy, but we all call him daddy, daddy. Daddy. You're sh- zaddy daddy. I'm zaddy. Yeah, yeah. And then Jeff <laughs> is grandpappy. Our manager <laughs> grandpappy is grandpappy daddy. daddy. <laughs> but what's Lauren? Lauren's daddy. Lauren is, uh, Lauren's <laughs> just a good girl. She's a good girl. <laughs> I'm a child. I'm a child pup. Okay. <laughs> oh my right. god, that's so dark. <laughs> okay, pup, wrong okay. this is the show. I'm a good pup. That's it. Wrong podcast. That's it. Uh, that is it for this <laughs> week. Uh, I'm Pup Ryan. I'm Daddy Taylor. No, I'm Daddy Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. <laughs> <laughs> For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.